Hello and welcome to Going Viral. I am David Lim. It is Monday, the 7th of September. In today's podcast, Professor Stephen Duckett will discuss important issues relating to the Victorian roadmap out of stage four restrictions. The latest global and local COVID-19 statistics will follow the interview. Before we start, I'd like to encourage you to register for tomorrow's webcast, where you can always catch a high quality lineup of speakers and topics that HealthEd has put together for you. HealthEd webcasts are carefully created to provide high quality video and audio so that you have the best possible learning experience. It's free, you get CPD points and it's all delivered directly to the digital device of your choice, wherever you choose to be. Register now at healthad.com.au. You can listen to these podcasts on the HealthEd website, or you can download the HealthEd app and access many other learning resources as well. Professor Darkus, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm the director of the health program at the Grattan Institute, where I've been for about eight years. Um, I'm a health economist and a former health bureaucrat in the Commonwealth, uh, Victoria and Queensland. 63 new cases of COVID-19, five deaths, and two more weeks of stage four lockdowns in Melbourne. The federal treasurer and our prime minister will closely scrutinize the economic impact of this extension but Premier Andrews says he'll be driven by the data and not the date. What are your comments about this issue? I think uh, the Premier has done the right thing. We have to be driven by the science. We have to be driven by the epidemiology. It's all very well to say we'd like to have uh, all the restrictions lifted by Christmas, but if it is unsafe to do so, we shouldn't do so. We should have a clear path to zero active cases and unfortunately some restrictions fewer than we have now to be in place until then you said that you would like to see the numbers driven to zero is that still the case for premier andrews or is he still looking at suppression so the national cabinet uh, has been somewhat confusing in its language but uh, back in july it endorsed a target of zero and uh, the roadmap the last step of the five-step roadmap, although they call the fourth step the last step, the last step of the five-step roadmap is COVID normal. And that is when we reach zero active cases. I've got to say I'm very excited to hear that. But what is the economic cost going to be for Victoria to achieve that? What we know, and it's increasingly clear from overseas evidence, is that the right thing to do for the economy and the right thing to do for public health is exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. That is... If we lift restrictions too early, we create uncertainty, we create a yo-yo economy where the uh, virus gets re-established, there'll be outbreaks, there'll be lockdowns. And mm-hmm. so in the, in the short term, we're going to have to stay with restrictions, but in the long term, we benefit by a much more open society, an open economy like they have in mm-hmm. Western Australia and South Australia and Tasmania where they've achieved elimination already. Now, the capacity to achieve and maintain close contact tracing, I think, is one of the vital points in Victoria. What sorts of numbers of daily new cases can be handled without losing control? Well, 
the, we know that they lost control when the number of cases was above 500. The chief health officer said they had lost control at that point. So whether they've actually strengthened their contact tracing since then, I don't know. But mm. the good news is we're in, in double digits now in mm. terms of new cases. So I trust they've got their contact tracing system in place. And they've also updated their contact tracing, so it's now closer to the 21st century because they've now got computerised support as, rather than relying on paper and post-it notes as they were in the oh, early stages of the second <laughs> Seriously, there was a photo, David, in the age of a contact tracing group in, in Geelong which had a whiteboard and post-it notes. I kid you not. Wow. Okay. Well, that's an eye-opener. Uh, a disappointing eye-opener, David, a disappointing one. Wow, because my next question was this. Um, what have we learned from the second wave in Victoria? That was certainly a lesson, wasn't it? The post-it notes. <laughs> <laughs> the post-it notes was certainly a lesson. But I think I was one of the ones who said how wonderful it was, how well we handled the first wave mm. in Australia as a whole, in Victoria and New South Wales, how well we did it. But it gave us, I think, a false sense of complacency because the first wave was essentially about international transmission mm -hmm. and the number of new cases was all about international arrivals with a little bit of community transmission. The right. second wave was about a stuff up in quarantine which led to a whole lot of community transmission, a very different kettle of fish where contact tracing was much uh, came to the fore in a much more serious way. And so from the first wave, we we should have done a whole lot of preparation because the second wave was almost inevitable and, and we didn't. We weren't as prepared as we should have been. Our quarantine wasn't as good as it should have been. But I think what we, what we now know is what works. So the evidence internationally is, for mm -hmm. example, masks work, mm -hmm. very clear. And the restrictions in Victoria introduced masks quite late in the piece. We should have done that earlier. But New South Wales hasn't mandated mm. masks. Mm. And, you know, mandating masks is actually not a big restriction on people's lives. Mm. It's not as much as banning cafes and restaurants and the like, which we have here. So, you know, I think New South Wales could learn from some of the things we've done in Victoria to get this virus under control. I think I'm thinking of two other issues too, Stephen. One is the importance or if you like, the significance of the gradual lockdown and its outcomes and how unprepared we were, although some might argue that they were prepared in our aged care sectors. The aged care sector has been a real tragedy. The Commonwealth Government has responsibility for regulating aged care, but did not do that adequately. It, the nursing homes essentially were poorly prepared and poorly prepared over decades. This is just not an issue from the last couple of months. The fact yeah. that the staffing was inadequate, the spa you know, there, there are a whole set of things that came out in the Royal Commission on Aged Care and what we saw in the pandemic was the disastrous and tragic symptoms yeah. of that poor regulation and um, understaffing and a whole lot of, some might say, I would say, in fact, greed, that drove some of the proprietors. I heard that the accreditation for COVID preparedness was pretty much a self-assessment rather than a national or state-driven strategy. 
Yes, and, and so it was a, a tick-the-box exercise. It, it could be a tick-the-box exercise. Some facilities, and I should declare I'm on the board of, a, of the Brotherhood of St. Lawrence, which, which runs a residential aged care facility, we actually had a simulation exercise, we put in masks, we redid our policies and so on. So for some, it was not a tick-the-box exercise, but it could be as far as the regulator was concerned. And again, this is something that's come out in the Royal Commission, not to the, um, unfortunately, the, the, the regulator, uh, the Commonwealth comes out looking quite badly in this regard. Do you think there will be swift changes in this area? I think there needs to be uh, a massive, a fundamental rethink of the whole of how we provide aged care. I mean, mm. we, you know, it has been so distressing for mm. a number of leaders, most recently Tony Abbott, to say basically you're old, therefore you should die. I mean, I think this is a terrible indictment on mm. our society that we have put older people out of sight and out of mind rather than saying these are valued members of our society, we should be helping them promote their independence, hope, hope, promote their dignity and so on. So this is a long-term and fundamental change. In the meantime, we have to fix some of these issues which led to the poor preparedness, including addressing some of the staffing issues. Now, you mentioned the New South Wales situation. I still believe we are on the knife's edge, and I believe that we are one super-spreading event or one break from quarantine protocol away from disaster. How do you read it? So, you know, obviously I'd prefer to be, prefer to be in New South Wales at the moment than Victoria, uh, both because of fewer restrictions and also because of the number of cases circulating. But you're absolutely right. This is a virus that spreads mostly through super spreader events. 80%, I think, of the infections are caused by a handful of uh, events which involve a large number of cases uh, being transmitted. And so it is always a risk. While you have small numbers, you can pat yourself on the back to say, oh, we've, we're five cases mm -hmm. only or something in the in number of new cases. But each of those five has the potential to transmit to someone else and each of those someone else's might be going to a super spreader event. So New South Wales, I think, is uh, more complacent than it ought to be. The yeah. New South Wales Premier is saying, kindly, kindly, please, please wear a mask. Well, mm. I think she ought to be saying, mm. wear a mask, folks. I guess the other thing that really bothers me too, uh, Stephen, is the number of cases pretty much every day. You see an unknown source here, an unknown source there, and absolutely no mandate on masks, on public transport and what have you. It's, it just is astounding. The, the evidence, as I said, on masks is very clear. We should at the least be wearing masks indoors uh, yes. all the time, including on public transport. Uh, and we should be, in, well, in Victoria anyway, we should be wearing masks outdoors as well. Probably right. not so in New South Wales because the numbers are, are down sufficiently, but certainly indoor masks should be mandated. Now, Stephen, what are the longer-term implications of the fact that the Premier's seem to be going their own way in a few states uh, for future national pandemic responses. Early in the pandemic, the National Cabinet was trumpeted as being this great innovation. What we've now seen over the last couple of weeks is the, the National Treasurer, the Commonwealth Treasurer, lambasting the, the Victoria. So that's a real clear sign that the National Cabinet uh, is collapsing. And we've got to, you know, the good thing about National Cabinet was there was a clear goal, get on top of the virus, 
that seems to have disappeared, and which is a real tragedy because you know the, the virus crosses borders. The virus mm-hmm. skipped from Victoria into New South Wales. Mm-hmm. Uh, it skipped from either Victoria or New South Wales into Queensland, and so we've got to be recognising that this is a national event. We've got to recognise that the state borders don't really fit where the the 19th century mapmakers drew them. And then you end up with problems on the Gold Coast, problems in Albury, Wodonga and so on, which we have to address. What do you think this could mean in the next pandemic? What what should happen? Uh, I think there's there's a number of things that uh, that should happen in, in terms of the longer term. I suppose the first thing, though, is getting the economy back on on track. That is, once we've got our numbers down, opened up the economy, we've Mm -hmm. done a lot in terms of uh, support for people affected, JobKeeper and JobSeeker and so on, but they have to continue, especially in Victoria, because they'll expire before the the lockdowns are fully lifted here. Mm -hmm. Uh, We also need to get the stimulus right. And, you know, I think one of the lessons is what we've learned about social housing. In Victoria, we have massive overcrowding in our public housing estates. This led to uh, transmissions. It was a, some pe- people have called it a vertical cruise ship. And so we need to, part of the stimulus has to be looking at these long-term fundamentals of our society, like improving social housing. So yeah. we, we allow people not to live in overcrowded housing for all of our benefits. That is, we, then in the future, um, pandemic, uh, we, we're not going to face the same risks. Now, as the tension and crisis in Victoria seems to be slowly ebbing away, has anybody ever looked at how poorly the messages have been, both on the federal and state level, over the whole pandemic? It's not only poorly messaging, poor messaging, David, it's also conflicting messaging. Mm-hmm. You know, at one stage of the pandemic, we had the federal education minister saying to parents, take your kids back to school when it was illegal to take the kids to school in Victoria, New South Wales. So, you know, you've had contradictory messaging. Uh, You've had the Commonwealth Health Minister making pronouncements which were inconsistent with what the state uh, was doing. And the legal Mm. authority in this case rests with the state. And so another example is the Commonwealth original pandemic plan didn't actually mention the states. It was a Commonwealth plan, not a national plan. Mm -hmm. So we've got to get over this and we've got to actually... As you said earlier, we've got to actually make sure that the national arrangements, the national cabinet uh, works together and that we also have in place clear uh, accountabilities and clear uh, processes for dealing with these events in the future. Now, Stephen, what messages do you have for healthcare workers and our patients as we prepare for the first stage of relaxation of the lockdown? I think I have an earlier message than that, David. I'd say to their employers, make sure everybody has appropriate PPE. They should be fitted for their masks and so on. We, mm-hmm. you know, we've seen too many health workers get infected. We yeah. haven't seen enough protection. So that's my first message. Yeah. My second message is you've done a good job and we can all look forward to a bit more relaxation in the future. Wonderful. David, I don't think I have any more particular questions for you. Do you have any messages for us? No, I think, David, we've covered it, but, you know, we've come through this. It's been hard for all of us, but uh, we're on the path out. One day since Stephen, we might meet and share a glass of champagne. That'd be nice. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, David.
From the John Hopkins Coronavirus Resource Center, we find that the global COVID-19 cases is nearing 27 million. The USA has recorded more than 6.25 million cases. Brazil has exceeded 4.1 million and India also exceeding 4.1 million. Russia has exceeded 1 million. Peru, more than 683,000 cases. Colombia has jumped up the list with more than 658,000 cases. Global COVID-19 deaths is recorded at 881,325. The USA recorded nearly 188,100. Brazil, more than 126,000. India, more than 70,600 deaths. Mexico, more than 67,300. And the UK, with more than 41,600 deaths. Australia has reported to date 26,133 cases of confirmed COVID-19 and 769 people have died. In the past day, Victoria recorded 41 new cases of COVID-19 and 5 deaths. The second wave is definitely ebbing and these numbers will continue to improve. Will the final goal be zero community transmission? As you had heard, Professor Duckett believes this is the best strategy for the economy and for Melbournians. New South Wales has reported four new cases. Three were sadly in healthcare workers who have borne the brunt of this pandemic together with the aged care residents. And one of the cases in New South Wales is a returned traveller in hotel quarantine. Just a quick reminder as we wrap up to encourage you to register for tomorrow's webcast where you can always catch a high quality lineup of speakers and topics that HealthEd has put together for you. HealthEd webcasts are carefully created to provide high quality video and audio so that you have the best possible learning experience. It's free, you get CPD points, and it's all delivered directly to the digital device of your choice, wherever you choose to be. Register now at healthad.com.au. You can claim RACGP CPD points for listening to this podcast using the self-claim option. Log into your account on the RACGP website, go to the CPD section and click on self-claim.